1: When are the last days? Well, Peter says they're starting right now. He says, in these last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your older men will dream dreams. So Peter says, today is the day. The last days have begun
0: Today, 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 with Jeff Vines. Hello and welcome. My name is Bill, and in this episode of Today with Jeff Vines, we're continuing Pastor Jeff's series on pursuing Jesus. He's looking at Acts chapter two and First Peter from verse twenty-two. In Acts, we see devout Jews arriving in Jerusalem from all over the known world to celebrate Passover. During the celebrations, they witnessed something supernatural that would change many lives forever. What was it? How did lives change? Well, let's hear from Pastor Jeff to hear this good news.
1: Turning your Bibles or your iPhone, iPad, whatever it is that you use to follow along in Scripture to Acts chapter 2 and 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22 through 25. And while you're finding that, Acts 2, 1 Peter 1, 22 through 25, I remember years ago reading a story uh, that was written by a man by the name of Jim Roberts, and he was visiting his son's primary class. Um, The teacher had organized this game called the Balloon Stump. And every student had a balloon tied to his or her legs, and the object of the game was to stomp everybody else's balloon uh, while protecting your own. So in the game, whoever had the last balloon still intact after everybody else's balloon had been exploded, that person was declared then the winner. It's a ruthless game, really. It's kind of like Survival of the Fittest, a Darwinian kind of contest. The teacher blows the whistle, and of course the game begins, and then it's dog-eat-dog, Some of the kids uh, stomped everything they could get a foot on. That's that's the way they're wired. While the other kids were focused on survival, they retreated uh, to the margins to protect their little balloon so nobody else could stomp on it. This game goes on and on, and eventually all the balloons are popped except one. And one kid's balloon, still intact, he's declared or she's declared the winner. The rules are very clear. If you win or If I win, then everyone else loses. The rules of the game means that every time somebody else's balloon gets popped, you're a little closer to the top. Every person's out for himself or herself. That's just the way the game works. And then Roberts writes in his story about something that happened that was really disturbing. He said it felt really off, incredibly unwholesome, sour almost. After the first class finished the game, there was another class brought into the room and they were prepared to play the same game. So the balloons were tied to their legs as was before. They were briefed on the rules, but this time it was a class of mentally handicapped kids. Robert said, as soon as he saw this, he started getting a sick feeling in the pit of his stomach because he knew that something was gonna happen next that just didn't seem right. He looked at the kids and he saw their eyes and their fear and their hearts. And he thought to himself, you know, this should not happen. They shouldn't have to go through this. This is not the way the world ought to work. But then the whistle blew. The kids didn't have much of a clue about what was supposed to happen because the explanation had been so brief. The only idea that began to trickle through their heads was these balloons are supposed to be popped. So they started popping the balloons, but they didn't play the game quite the same way the class before them had played. Instead of protecting their own balloons and chasing everybody else's balloons... They began intentionally to go around helping each other pop their own balloons. One little girl kneeled down and held her balloon on the ground like a place kicker holding down a football, and a little boy came over and stomped it out for her, popped it for her, and she congratulated him on popping her balloon, and then the little boy knelt down, put his balloon on the ground. She stomped on it, popped it, and then he congratulated her. All over the room, this happened time and time again. These kids helped each other until every balloon was popped. And when the last balloon was popped, all the kids stood up and cheered together. They had accomplished the job together. No one was left out. Nobody lost. Everybody won. Now, I want you to take that little illustration, set it to the side. We'll bring it back in in a moment. I want to tell you another wonderful story. Now, there are times when we preach that it is important, especially given our time today where there's so much biblical illiteracy. I'm finding the need more and more to explain to you things that previously I took as a given. Because if we don't know the story of the church, God's story, the history of early Christianity, then we miss out on so much. So I want to tell you another wonderful story as quickly as I can. You know the end result throughout all of human history Even though we have rebelled against God and gone our own way and suffer the consequences, God, the story of Scripture tells us, refused to leave us alone. From the beginning, he's been working out his plan of redemption and restoration in and through his people. And then in the fullness of time, God sends his Son into the world to remedy our lostness and our separation from him, Jesus Christ a name synonymous with salvation still to this day, thousands of years ago, lived, died, and rose again. He gave his life on a Roman cross for the forgiveness of our sins, and all who call on his name shall be saved. If you know the story of when Jesus entered our world, Jesus died during Passover, right? His death occurred actually during the time the Jews would have been slaying their sacrificial lambs to celebrate the Passover feast. I don't think this is incidental. Remembering when the angel of the Lord passed over the homes, they also celebrate during this time Passover and Pentecost. Now, the original Passover celebrates the time when the angel of the Lord passed over the homes of those who had slain their firstborn unblemished lambs and placed the blood over the doorpost to as a sign of protection, as a sign of faith and belief and of obedience to what God had required them to do. In the original Passover story of the deliverance of the people of Israel out of Egypt, 50 days later, they would receive the law on Mount Sinai. God would give the law to Moses. So thousands of years later, they're still celebrating Passover. Jesus dies on Passover, and they're also still celebrating this thing called Pentecost, which is the word, the Greek word for 50. And what happens in Acts chapter two on the day of Pentecost is going to change human history forever. On that day, devout Jews from all over the known world will come to Jerusalem. So stay with me now. Let's make sure we're chronologically uh, uh, understanding what's happening. So Jesus dies as the Passover lamb, consistent with celebration of Passover and the Jewish feast. And then 50 days later, There are Jews coming from all over the known world, from different various places in order to celebrate what is known as the Feast of Weeks or Shavuot, which means weeks or sevens. And it happens exactly seven weeks, 49 days on the 50th day after Passover. So now we're in Acts 2. Jesus has died, he's been buried, he's resurrected. And now the disciples who are now apostles are preaching the good news of the gospel in Acts chapter two, during the Feast of Pentecost. Again, the Greek name for Shavuot, Pentecost, literally means 50, because it's the 50th day after seven sevens. So all of these Jews have come over into Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost, as well as Passover. Now, who is in Jerusalem? I want you to take a look at this map that'll be on the screen as I read to you people from various cities and places who have come to celebrate Pentecost, okay? The Bible tells us you have Parthians and Medes and Il- Elamites, which would be modern-day Iran. You have the residents of Mesopotamia, which is modern-day Iraq and Kuwait and Western Syria. You have people from Judea, which is modern-day Palestine. You have people from Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, uh, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, which is all in modern-day Turkey or are all in modern-day Turkey. People from Egypt, modern-day Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, obviously modern-day Libya, and visitors from Rome. The Bible tells us both Jews and converts to Judaism, which again would be modern-day Rome. Cretans, which is part of modern-day Greece, and Arabs, part of the Arabian Peninsula, present-day Saudi Arabia. So... All of these people from all of these places have come, Jewish, devout Jews have come to celebrate Pentecost, remembering that God gave the Ten Commandments after the Passover on Mount Sinai. During this time, Peter, an apostle, and someone asked me recently, what is an apostle? Well, an apostle is just a disciple who became an apostle after the spirit of the living God breathed into them new life and a new calling, in Acts chapter 1. So apostle means one who is sent. So the apostle now, the apostles are sent to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ during this feast of Pentecost. Peter stands up on this day of Pentecost celebrations, and he begins to preach the gospel. And this is very important. Please stay with me here. Follow the chronological order. It's going to clear up something. And he does preach the gospel, and a miracle takes place. In Acts chapter 2 verse 9, we're told we hear them, that is the, the apostles, Peter and the other 11 were told, declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Uh, this is a word for languages. So people from all over the known world speaking different languages from different cultures, as Peter stands up to preach, here's what Peter says in their own language. And I love Acts chapter two, verse 12. It says they were amazed and they ask one another, what does this mean? And then they begin to make fun of the man. And they said, they've obviously had too much wine to drink. And then Peter stands up with the 11, the Bible tells us, and he raises his voice and he addresses the crowd and he says, fellow Jews, all of you who live in Jerusalem and all of you who live in Jerusalem. So hear what he's saying, Jews from all over the empire and those of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. Now I'll read the text, verse 15. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Now, listen to this next verse. In the last days, when are the last days? Well, Peter says they're starting right now. He says, in these last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And then he goes on to describe the types of things that are gonna happen from the time Jesus establishes his kingdom until the time he returns, which is why he finishes that dialogue by saying, the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name shall be saved. So Peter says, today is the day. The last days have begun. And then he explains what God is doing. Again, I'm going to read it because it's important history. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Therefore, let all of Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Now, you know the rest of the story. In verse seven, the people were convicted. They said, what must we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He said, the promise is for you and your children, We're told that many came forward, many repented, many were baptized, and when we're told that 3,000, more than 3,000, were added to the church that day. Now, this is crucial to the book of Acts because it gives us the the history of the early church, and it gives us information of what happened after this. And we read in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 and 43, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Now, again, those of you who have read this passage in the past, you think, oh man, I've heard so many sermons on this. I know where he's going. No, you don't. Listen carefully, because I think we've misunderstood something and it's costing us dearly. They met together, these 3,000 plus, suddenly, having come from all over the known empire, meet together. They concentrate on the apostles' teaching. Now, why would they do that? Well, they've just heard their first message concerning the atonement. They're going to need more information. One sermon's not going to do it. They know enough to know they need to repent and that Jesus is the salvation of the world, but they need so much more information if they're going to go back to their various homes and they're going to continue to teach and preach in the name of Jesus. They break bread together, the Bible tells us. And the reason they do that is because they're constantly, the apostles, teaching the connection between Jesus and the Passover lamb. And they're praying together in repentance and also thanksgiving for the new word of salvation that has come to them. And then comes verse 44. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who has need. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, once again, Who were the these that were all together? Well, they were the Jews from across the known world who had received the message of the gospel, salvation in the name of Yeshua. Remember what we said earlier? They were from Parthia, Arabia, Cappadocia, Rome, Africa. They had all traveled to Jerusalem to experience Passover and Pentecost. But now they had heard about the ultimate Passover and the ultimate law now given not to Moses on Mount Sinai, but to all those who would call on his name the law of grace. So that which the Jews had been searching all of their lives, a way to be right with God apart from the law, has now been revealed to them. And they are now able to see God in the light of Christ, and that changed everything for them. Imagine that your greatest pursuit is to know God, but your sin never goes away, and it prohibits your relationship. And suddenly you hear the voice of God, and you know the story of God and how God now has come down and reached down to you and has provided a way where those who are far from him can come near. Now, if you're not seeking God, this does very little for you, but if you have spent your life wanting relationship with God, this means absolutely everything. However, and this is what we forget, and it's why we miss the context, there's another problem. You've come on this long journey expecting to celebrate Pentecost and then return home to your family but your eyes have been open to God's work and his offer of redemption. And while you have embraced the fundamentals, there are so many more questions that you have. What do you do? Do you go home? It'd be too soon. No, you gather with others from all over the known world to learn from the apostles' doctrine as they teach and expound on the idea of atonement. You break bread This communion connects the past with the present, Passover, Pentecost, the prophecy concerning Messiah, and you're continuing to pray for guidance that God would grant you understanding. Now, folks, this means that there were three things that continued to happen in the church in the book of Acts. One, those who came from all around the known world to Jerusalem had to go back to the hotel and ask for an extended stay. So obviously they weren't in hotels, but they were going to have to stay longer probably longer than they had planned, longer than their resources would allow. It also means that the miracle of Pentecost, of speaking in languages the apostles did not know, had to continue on as they taught and trained these men and women before they returned to their areas of living. That means those who were being saved were coming together into one place, and they had all things in common, the Bible told us in verse 45 we're told they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Now, why did they do this? Because many would have come unprepared to stay beyond the celebration of Pentecost. They didn't have the resources to do so. But some of those who followed Christ, some of those who heard the gospel and received it, were of great means. The church was always filled with people who were quite wealthy and those who were incredibly impoverished. So the rich began to sponsor the poor so that they all could remain until they were sufficiently prepared to take the gospel back home. And remember, because these Jews had embraced Jesus, they would be denied now the usual hospitalities of their own people. They'd be excluded from the customary kindness because they had embraced Jesus of Nazareth. So it became necessary for them to share their property while they were together in one place. Now, the reason I'm doing this is What happened in Jerusalem that day did not stay in Jerusalem. And it's going to change the world. (sighs) Folks, when you read this list of people who came together on the day of Pentecost, heard the gospel, then lived in community, the wealthy assisting the poor during this time, it's amazing. And the reason it's amazing, we forget that racism is not a new thing. There was rampant racism in the Greco-Roman world. You were either Roman or barbarian, Greek or barbarian. You were either slave or free. And if you were a slave, it's because you were inferior. Max Weber says that even if you were Greek, if you lived in the countryside and not in urban areas, you were considered barbarian. In fact, there's a statement out of the first century historical context that says that all Macedonians are are barbarians. Now, what's the point? Well, if that's true, then how could people from all over the known world who speak different languages, consider each other outsiders, and in some cases inferior, suddenly love and take care of each other and sponsor one another? How could that happen so dramatically and so quickly to invest in each other, to relationally and financially care about one another? Because you know, as well as I do, racism is not a sin easily unlearned. What is our human tendency? to think more highly of ourselves than we ought, to hang out with people who are like us or people higher than you so that they can pull you up a rung or two on the ladder. It's the kind of attitude that says, because you are like me, I will spend time with you. But you over there, you're not like me. You make me nervous. You're not healthy. You're not normal. You're not spiritual. You're not in the same socioeconomic class. So I can't be bothered having community with you. In the church, there's an old expression that goes like this the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Something amazing happened in Jerusalem that day, thousands of years ago. Racism, segregation, separation due to social position, wealth, and race collapsed under the weight of the good news of the gospel. The power of their similarities in Christ overshadowed their differences. We've been redeemed by the blood of the lamb. We're in the same family, the one that truly matters. We're traveling the same road. And I have to believe that Peter, the one who stood up and preached this gospel on Acts chapter two, on the day of Pentecost, had begun to truly understand the gospel. And I know that because of what I read in 1 Peter 1, 22 through 25, when he says, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, though." Obeying what truth? The truth that Jesus is the Son of God who atones for your sins, that you're saved by grace through faith, no effort or merit on your own. He says, so that you have sincere love for each other. The byproduct of understanding the gospel is to love one another the way Christ has loved you, generously, sacrificially. He says, love one another deeply. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. We're all going to heaven, basically Peter is saying. We've been born of a seed that is imperishable, non-destructible. And he says, for all people are like like grass. Why would he quote this Old Testament passage? He says, all of us are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you to remind them that we're all in the same boat. We are human, in human flesh. We are frail. We are lost. We're all in the same boat. It's sinking, but Jesus Christ saved us all. And what happened in Jerusalem that day did not stay in Jerusalem. It changed the world because, one, they accepted each other, regardless of race, language, or socioeconomic standing because they realized the most fundamental level. They're all the same, sinners saved by grace, waiting for the redemption of the body and soul. But there's a second thing. They stopped viewing life as a competition, and everyone else is in opposition. You understand that? They, they stopped viewing life as a competition and everyone else as the, the opposition. In other words, they stopped stomping on everybody else's balloon. You've
0: been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff.
1: Because of what happened in Jerusalem, this new community broke the social barriers and genuinely encouraged one another, celebrated one another, and gave themselves to the upward mobility of everyone else. They accepted each other, regardless of race, language, or socioeconomic standing. They did not see their possessions as their own, but rather embraced community by sharing whatever they had.
0: You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts.